learn that you cannot have a lot of the trappings that people think you must have to have a church, we found out if you have the Bible and you lift up Jesus Christ, you're off to a really good start. And we're a church filled with imperfect people. We know that. You're led by one. We all understand that. But God is good. And if any good thing happens as a church is getting started or as it's being built and growing, God gets all of the glory for it. So we've been together for 12 years now serving, and we've seen how God has taken us from very humble beginnings, just rented space, bouncing around a lot just to find a place to meet. And uh, we've seen over the years how God has added properties and moved us from this place or that place. And, and uh, we, we can see that God's hand of blessing is, has been on the work here. And we're glad to see that some of those things we found out we didn't have to have in the beginning. God, by His grace, has brought them in in the right time, in the right way. But our premise remains the same. This is God's church, and He's the builder of His church. The most important things about Coastline today are not the things that I'm grateful that we have today. It's, it's the fact that we still have God's Word. We're still able to lift up Jesus Christ and show Him to be the, the hope for everybody. We're grateful that it's those most important elements that have been with us all along the way. We've seen people who've accepted Christ, as I said earlier, and they've been baptized in a response to that relationship that was established with Christ, and people that have been helped, we've seen lives changed. And that's a work that God does. You know, I think there's value in taking an opportunity like an anniversary to look back because it encourages our faith. And uh, it not only helps us to see what God has done, I believe it motivates us as we move in the future. And we're going to come to a passage today. We're going to study one verse today, the next verse tonight. And uh, it's a passage that I believe can help and encourage all of us. And if you're able today, I'm going to invite you to join me in standing as we read the Bible together. Many of you know our current series has been entitled, With All Your Heart. But the story of Coastline is a story of what happens when people bring their hearts in collectively together. And so today, as we are in the midst of this series, instead of With All Your Heart or My Heart, it's going to be with all our hearts. And I want us to look back and see what happens when God works in the midst of a people and uh, He begins to bring them along. And so we'll begin today in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. And the Bible says this, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Again, today we're going to focus on that first verse. Then those that gladly received were baptized, the Bible says, and, and they were added. Let's think on this together. Our Father, we're very grateful that we can study the Bible today and know that it is His word from you for us today. Help us to uh, find our encouragement from it. I pray that you help us to find direction from it and and Lord, I pray that you'd be honored in all that's said or done today. May the spotlight be entirely on you and your grace to us. And we give this, this time of study, of, of preaching and teaching to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. The encompassing grief of their friend and leader and mentor dying by the cruel hands of the Romans had recently given way to an overarching joy as they personally witnessed the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. They saw Him with their eyes. They knew that this one who had died for them and was buried had risen again. 
the newly raised from the dead Savior, Jesus Christ, had a command that he wanted to give to his followers. You see, Jesus would soon be ascending to the right hand of God the Father. The Bible says he was seated at the right hand. The right hand is a position of authority. And in this culture, when someone is seated, that was tantamount to saying the work has been completed. And so Jesus was preparing to be ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And prior to his departure, his followers are gathered around and he gives to them their marching orders, so to speak. He gives to them that command that he wants them to carry out. We oftentimes call it the Great Commission. It's found in all four of the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. It's found in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It's the cornerstone of what the church is to be all about. And Jesus in the Great Commission told his followers, listen, and I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I want you to baptize those that accept the gospel message. And then I want you to teach people all things whatsoever I've commanded you. In response to that, we know that Jesus made it clear he would be leaving them, obviously. But that the Holy Spirit of God would come. You see, friends, the Great Commission to tell the whole world about the gospel, it's beyond our ability to accomplish that. It would be impossible for us. And so Jesus wanted these new believers to know that when the Holy Spirit came, He would help them to accomplish that which God gave them to do. God is too kind to give you something to accomplish in life that that you can't accomplish. He gives you the power to help you do what He wants you to do. And so here's how it worked. Jesus went up and the Spirit came down. And the disciples went out everywhere telling people about Jesus and then together they came in. And so we know that Jesus prepared those early disciples and and the Holy Spirit of God arrived in a way that allowed the new church to be kicked off in a a grand way. And and the Holy Spirit came on a day that was known as the day of Pentecost. It was an occasion when people would come to Jerusalem, they would gather in great numbers, they would celebrate a feast together. And and that was the occasion that brought literally the world to the doorstep of the temples. And and that was the occasion in which the Holy Spirit of God kick-started the newly established church. Our text shared with us that more than 3,000 responded to the message of God's grace and more than 3,000 followed in baptism and they were added to the assembly of believers. Now that day, the day we sometimes call the day of Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday, it was an unprecedented day. It was an unrepeated day, but it was not intended to be an altogether uh, 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 unrepeated day in in our lives. Now, the, the sense of the Spirit coming, the uniqueness of it all, yes, but unusual, no, it's to be relevant and real for every church. Now the names change and the numbers change. But God's desire still is that the message would be preached, that people would receive by faith, that they then would follow the Lord and believers' baptism and be added to the local assembly. All of this work is by God and through God and for God. And as we look to this verse today, friends, listen, uh, we're going to find some elements that can encourage our hearts, especially in light of the fact that we're taking some time to remember what it is that God has done here today. As we look to this verse, the first element that comes to the surface is something I can't help but see. And it's something that maybe wouldn't be obvious the first time you go through it. But as the Bible says in this verse, verse 41, then they gladly received his word. We have to ask whose word did they receive? 
Well, it was the word of God because the message being preached was, was a message that had come from God. But God was delivering that truth through somebody else. There was a preacher, as it were, who was sharing the message that God wanted shared. And the preacher on that day was a man by the name of Peter. And if we were to just start reading the Bible from Acts chapter 2, we may not be shocked at all that Peter was the one that preached on this amazing day when all those people accepted Christ. But if we were to take time to read the Gospels and make our way to the book of Acts, I think most of us would scratch our head and wonder, of all the people, why did God pick Peter to be the one to preach the message? You see, Peter was impetuous, he was hot-tempered, he, he often gave his input even when it wasn't even wanted. He, he did not always stand the value of, of, of staying in his lane in life. He liked to meddle in other people's business. On one occasion, Jesus shared with Peter that he, Jesus would be crucified, and, and Peter was arguing with the Lord about how it would all unfold. In Mark chapter 14, verses 29 to 31, the Bible says, But Peter said unto him, the Christ, Although all shall offend you, yet will not I. That was Peter. Lord, you can't count on anybody, but you can count on me. He said, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. all. Peter here literally is arguing with Jesus Christ. And we find that English word vehemently. And, and that gives the idea of a vocal, almost violent confrontation and a disagreement. And Jesus is sharing with Peter how it's going to be. And Peter vehemently is arguing with Jesus Christ. Can you imagine arguing with God the Son? Now, well, we all know how it turns out. A few verses later in Mark 14, verses 66 to 72, the Bible says, and, and as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. He denied it again, and a little after they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time the cock crew, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. He wept. We find Peter here is totally devastated. He's defeated. He's discouraged. He's as down as far as you can go. And that was the man that God in his grace lifted up to a place where the message could be heard by all the world that day. We know the message was preached there near the temple. As Lisa and I were there visiting last year. We were able to go and, and, and see the Temple Mount. It's the large area there. And then in the front corner there, if we could zoom in on that, you'll find a, an area there. And that would have been where Peter was 
was preaching this message. We're going to get a little, a little later, we're going to get closer in on that. But I just want you to get the idea. You can see the ascension there. That was steps, and, and it was a very important gate. In fact, that was the very place where Mary and Joseph uh, brought Jesus to present him to the Lord. This was uh, uh, an amazing place. And this is the place where God put Peter to preach the message. I am so thankful that God in his grace can use imperfect people. You see, we can't get into a study of this occasion without understanding that there was a recovered life. Peter had had some problems. He'd had some heartache. He'd had some difficulty. You see, friends, the story of Coastline is not the story of a few larger-than-life characters who just found a way to get it done. It's the story of hundreds of rather typical, even ordinary people who've come to know Jesus, who followed Him with their lives, who sought to do the things that Jesus would have them to do, and as a result of the collective heart, God has done what it is He's chosen to do here. God's not looking today for the awesome, just for the total extraordinary human being. Now, no doubt, He wants us to use any gifts we have for His glory, but God is looking at a life saying, if you'll be humble and yielded to me, that's the kind of person I want to use. It's all by God's grace, not by our goodness. I heard of a guy who was preaching in New York City years ago. He's standing on a street corner and he was preaching atheism. He was preaching his faith, his lack thereof, his belief system, and he was saying there is no God. And I'll go on in a moment. I just want to say, I don't know how any person can honestly say that with any heart of integrity at all. I could understand someone saying, I've never met God personally, I've never seen Him. Everywhere I've looked, He hasn't been. But I mean, nobody's been everywhere, read everything. Nobody knows it all. So it's kind of an egotistical thing for someone to say, I personally can tell everybody in the world there is no God. I've settled it. But this guy was doing just that. Apparently, he'd been everywhere, looked under every rock, he knew everything. And he's declaring, no God. And for kind of the grand finale on his message there, he looks up to heaven in a very theatrical way, and, and he says, God, if you're up there, strike me down with lightning. Well, of course, no lightning came, and that validated that what he was saying was accurate, and, and he found great pride in the fact that, you know, he challenged God to a duel, and apparently he won the duel, and uh, that's how it went down. There was a lady there watching, an elderly lady. She was just kind of curious what was going on and kind of saw the end of this, and she walked up and that man was, was boldly declaring that he had just shared with the whole world, there is no God. And the lady said, you haven't shared there's no God, you've just shared he's a gracious God. She started to walk away and she turned around and she said, if I were God, I'd have chucked a lightning bolt right at you, you know. And <laughs> how many of you are glad I'm not God today and I'm glad you're not God? I, I don't know if we'd have the grace it takes to bring people along, to have the patience to help them. I just love the fact that God can take a rather ordinary person and, and use them in an extraordinary way. And in this, we find a recovered life. But as we move on in this verse, we find a received life. For the Bible says, then they that gladly received his word. And we'll just consider that expression. They were glad. Why? Because the message Peter preached was called the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And when somebody tells other people good news, they're glad to hear it. And so the Bible makes a point that they were glad here when this message came and they received it. They accepted it as their own. Why? Because it was the gospel. Here's what the Bible says the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. 
The gospel message is this. It's the understanding that none of us are perfect. We've all sinned and we all fall short of God's standard. In fact, the very word sin means to miss the mark, and we've missed the mark. And so if we were to go into the presence of God, bringing our sin with us, we would mess everything up. And since we could never find a way to get to God, God found a way to come to us. He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. God became man without ceasing to be God. He was crucified on the cruel, rugged cross of Calvary, not for any sins that he had done wrong, but to pay the payment for my sin and for your sin. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. It was borrowed because he only needed it a few days. And three days later, he rose again from the dead. And his resurrection validates that everything he says is true. Friends, that's the best news in all the world, that God loves us so much that he came to meet our need. And that through faith, we can have a relationship with him. Friends, think of that. I like the fact that salvation, the Bible says, is something we receive. We don't pay for it. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't get it as a reward. We receive it as the gift that it is. Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, the heart that led to the establishment of this church was a heart that understood the greatest news in all of the world is the news that Jesus loves everybody. And wants to save people and has done everything that is needed so that we can have a relationship with God that lasts forever. The heart was never to just add one more church to the mix of the region. It was never to try and get a little more religion in the region. To be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of religion. It's brought much bad into the world. I'm a big fan of a relationship, however, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our hope was to bring the truth and and, and, and the joy of the gospel message. So people could receive life, eternal life. Again, verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. We think of the reality that those that received the word were baptized. We see here a revealed life. And and here's how that works. When somebody accepts Jesus Christ, it's, it's a decision made on the inside. It's something that is not altogether visible the moment someone places their faith in, in the Lord. And so baptism is a symbol that states without sharing a word that we believe in Jesus. We believe that he died on the cross, was buried, and that he rose again. And all of that is the picture we find in baptism. So Peter stands there. He shares the gospel, the the hope in Christ. And people responded. They accepted Jesus. And then Peter said, I've got to baptize these people now. How would he know that? Because Jesus, who gave the Great Commission, said people were to uh, uh, be confronted with the gospel message. Those that accepted were then to be baptized. And Peter looked around. I've often wondered, how in the world would Peter have found water for 3,000 people to get baptized? It's, it's a hilly area. Not a lot of water in that region. And uh, when we walked up a little bit closer to the steps of those temple, I saw that there were baptistries all around around the front of the temple. Uh, Really, the whole area there, as you go on to the next slide, the whole area there, it's just a bunch of baptistries. And I thought, good night, who put all these baptistries here? That is what stands at the very place where Peter was preaching. Now, I learned those aren't baptistries in our sense of the word. They were areas where people would ceremonially dip themselves before they walked into the temple. It was, it was a way of preparing themselves spiritually to say, I don't want to take any sin into the sight of God with me. And so they had a, a very ceremonial, ritualistic process where they would dip in the water and then they'd make their way into the temple. But Peter, being a church planner, said, you know something? We don't have a baptistry of our own. We're just going to have to make do. And so he decided 
decided to go ahead and use what he had, and people were baptized. And when you are starting a church, you learn to just make do with whatever it is you have. We didn't have a baptistry for the first eight years of our church, and so we baptized a lot of different places. We baptized in the ocean. I think that was my favorite place, except from November to like March, okay? Uh, then I was really wishing we'd get, uh, get a good one. Uh, we we uh, went from the, from the ocean, we baptized in jacuzzis. And we had a couple different jacuzzis. That's April there. Every life tells a story, doesn't it? There's Turvey. And, and uh, we call them baptacuzzis. And uh, uh, we put a good name on them. That's Brad Walters. He's in heaven now. And uh, we had a stand behind baptistry. We used that for a while. We even tried this for a little while. And it uh, didn't go over too good. But uh, we thought we'd try it out. There's Brother Steve getting baptized. Amen. And uh, he got baptized about 500 times that day. And uh, the point I'm making is this. The source of the water is not near as important as the meaning behind it all. There's just something beautiful about a person hearing the, of the love of God and how God has made way, a, poss- a possibility for us to have a relationship with Him. And then saying in response to the love of God, saying, I am so thankful for this one that loves me. I want to obey what He's given me to do. And I want to be baptized to show everybody on the outside what's going on on the inside. Many of those who were baptized experienced persecution for their faith, but they willingly took this first step in the life of a new believer because they wanted to be obedient to the one who saved them. And through this command, they revealed again on the outside what was happening on the inside. As we look to the closing thought in our study today, again to verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I believe in that we find this final thought, which is a rewarding life. These people were added. They were added. Now, that would kind of beg the question, added to what? What were they added to? Who were they added to? Well, we know there were about 120 people of faith gathered together on that day, and they were in the area, and we know that when these people accepted Christ and were baptized, they now had this in common with with the others, this faith in Jesus Christ, that is. And so they were then added to those believers, and those believers really were the church at that time. It was being kicked off in a great way, but they were the body of Christ. The Bible tells us, that uh, addition in the church, it comes from the Lord. This group was added, and the Bible says it's only the Lord that can add. So it was the Lord through baptism that identified them not only with himself, but with those that know him. The Bible in Acts 2.47 says this, The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Uh, uh, To to Peter in Matthew 16.18, Jesus said this, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He didn't say, Peter, you're going to build my church. And he didn't say, I'll build your church. He said, this is my church, and I will be the one that builds it. Now, you might be saying, Pastor, why are you really laboring on this point that it's the Lord that does all of that for this reason? If a God that loves you enough to save you thinks enough of you to add you to a local assembly, it's because he knows it's good for you. And it's the best life for you. Now, sometimes people talk of the church today in terms of, you know, not just everybody that's saved. And that's not really the church of the New Testament at all. The church of the New Testament was comprised of local assemblies in regions. You see, we can't go to this church in Jerusalem. It'd be quite a commute. And so God in his love has put churches in, in, in our area. Specifically, we're in this church today. And for many, this, this is what you would call my church home. 
What a value, what a blessing, what a rewarding life it is when we make the journey of life with other people of faith. Through the years, we've celebrated grand openings of this or that, and, and we've dealt with overly full situations here and there. We've celebrated the birth of children, um, and we've said goodbye to people that we all love. Uh, we've been through some great times. We've been through some tough times. But as a church family, we've been through it together. And that's the joy. How different life would be if we were just disenfranchised free agent mavericks out there on our own, just braving the elements as the lone ranger. God said, I never wanted that for any of my children. I want them to enjoy the family of faith. That's a blessed life. I know that our church family is a highly imperfect one, as I said earlier, and I'll say again, I know that you're led by a highly imperfect pastor, but I want to say for 12 years, I'm very grateful as an individual to have been able to invest at least that many years of my life uh, with, with this church family. And Lisa and I love this place. I'm very grateful for my girls to be raised in a church where they get to know people like you and have folks that care enough about them to be interested in them. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. It's a wonderful thing to have the testimony of a Christian through the great picture found in baptism. It's a wonderful thing to be united with a church family. As we take the time to go back and look at the first church, we find some similarities. We see that uh, God can use anybody and everybody. God, God can recover a life. We've, we've seen people accept Christ by faith. They received eternal life. We've seen people take a stand to identify with Christ, their new life. In Christ was revealed, we've seen the reward of being part of a, of a church family. Twelve years. It makes me feel like I'm getting old. I feel like that's a long time. This morning I told Brother Ryan something was a little loud, and he said, stop complaining, you're just getting old. That's what he told me, you know. <laughs> and uh, maybe so. But you see, these same truths stir us to go on for God. The, the culmination of 12 years, it, it, it doesn't do anything for me in the sense of wanting to you know, sit down and, and throw in the towel. What it does for me is says, you know something? God still loves people. The gospel message still works. He's, he's still adding. It makes me say, I want to invest my life in that which matters most for eternity. The work of God. I want to ask you today. Where are you in all of this? I don't know that there'd be anybody here today who could hear a verse like this and say, nope, nothing for me in that verse. I've got all that one nailed down. I'm sure it's, you know, value for these other sinners here around me. But for me personally, no, there's, there's nothing in all that for me. No, I think if we look enough, all of us could say, there's, there's something in there for me. Maybe today for you would be a day of, of returning as it was for Peter. God did a work of recovery and restoration in his life. And maybe you would say, you know something, Pastor? I, I could tell you that there is room for me to draw closer to Jesus. It doesn't matter to me if you're 10 miles away, if you're, if you're uh, 10 feet away. But maybe today you'd say, you know, I could draw closer to the Lord. And I'd like to do that. Maybe you're here today and, and, and you're not sure of, of your soul's salvation. 
when asked the question, if you died today, would you spend eternity in heaven? It just kind of rubs you the wrong way. And the reason it rubs you the wrong way is you're not sure. Maybe today's the day to receive that life, eternal life, by faith. We've already had people baptized today to reveal that life. We'll do that again at the end of this service. Maybe it would be a great day to make that, that decision or to determine, you know something? Uh, I want to be right in the middle of, of the local church where God's placed me. I want to be a part of it all. I want to know the rewarding life when, when God takes someone and adds them to one of his congregations. What's in, what's in it for you today here? Our Father, thank you for this study. I thank you for 12 wonderful years. Lord, we need you. I don't believe the need for the gospel or for people being encouraged or helped. I don't believe the need is diminished at all, Lord. I pray that you'll help us to live for you. I pray that you'd help this, this service to end exactly as you would have it. I pray that each of us today would very honestly take a quick look within and let the word serve as a spotlight to show us what needs to change. Thank you for this time, these people, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and we're going to be on our way in just a moment. Okay, the question was, where are you in all of this? And, and Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I would never embarrass anybody or point everybody out. Maybe you're here today and you would, you'd say, you know what, Pastor? Yeah, I, recovery, that may be the appropriate term. Maybe you'd say it's a slight overstatement. But at any rate, maybe you're here today and you'd say, uh, you know what? I really do need to drop close to the Lord again. Uh, I, I can relate with Peter on the need to kind of get things right. Maybe you're here today and you'd be willing just to lift a hand as a, as a quiet testimony. And you'd say, uh, Pastor, by this raised hand, I'd, I'd like to have that be a... Something that happens in my life. I want to draw back close to God. Are there those today? Pastor, that's what's in this for me today. Numbers of hands. It's a majority. That's great. You can put them down. Maybe for you, it's that matter of receiving eternal life. You'd, you'd say, Pastor, I don't know for sure if I were to die today, I'd spend eternity in heaven. Again, I'm not going to point anybody out. But maybe you'd say, Pastor, that's where I'm at today. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. I'd like to be. I don't know. Are there those today who'd be willing just to lift up a hand and say, Pastor, that's what's in it for me. I'm just not certain if my life ended, I'd spend eternity in heaven with God. Pray with me. Pray with me. Maybe you'd say, I want to reveal that life I have in Christ. I've been saved and not yet baptized. And I know the Lord would have me to do that. Maybe today, it's. I believe the Lord would have me to unite with with the, the, the family of faith here. Enjoy the rewarding life of being a part of a church family. I hope we can look at a text like this and find an area where all of us can grow. I wonder today, would you be so kind as you join me in standing, please? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And the piano is beginning to play. Brother Steve's going to come and lead in a hymn of invitation today. And, and if you know the words, you can sing along with him. It's a song called Thank You, Lord. Maybe you know it. But as we spend some time singing today, it's just an opportunity for us to talk back to the Lord. Maybe the Lord has spoken to you today, and this is a great time to respond. We have counselors in the front, guys and ladies alike, and they'll have their copy of God's Word. And maybe you have a question today or want someone to be in prayer with you today. That's why they're here. It would be a great blessing and honor for them to be a help and encouragement to you. Maybe you'd like to just spend a moment in prayer. 
God, I want to draw close to you. I, I want, like Peter, to know what it is to uh, come back close to your side. Maybe you'd just like to spend a moment in prayer saying, God, as we pull out of this 12th anniversary, help us to head into the next 12 years with a head of steam, with a heart of faith. As the singing begins today, I'll invite you to come if you'd like to.